to the thing thanks for coming to my home i mean technically it's my home we're, yeah we're but in my home <laughs> i even looked at you knowing you were going to say something about that <laughs> yeah good good job though you paused thanks though for making me speak. the predictable one this is only the fifth time we've tried doing this intro yeah it's fine <laughs> we'll probably just that. do a bloopers reel oh easily easily uh my name is zach rich i'm your host with me is andrew orsi hello and kevin Ryder. hey hey boys how you feeling pretty, pretty good. good feeling good i had some pizza yeah it was nice yeah i've given up pizza uh, on man. this day, oh. on this very day, so mm-hmm. I'm a little grouchy because my diet started today, and the lack of pizza. The lack less of pizza. Than 24 hours you don't understand. Really I have been eating pizza like it's my job. It's not. It's not. It'd be a good job. It's, it would yeah, be a great you should, job. You find that job. There's a Melissa McCarthy sketch on SNL that is exactly about that, and it's one of my favorite sketches ever. Check it out. So we're already talking SNL. Yeah, yeah, we're plugging SNL. Oh, we're going south right Sponsored. <laughs> but this is not a pizza podcast. It's a video game podcast. Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, shoot. I thought like, we'll talk pizza about podcast. pizza. We'll talk about books and movies and popcorn and okay. dancing. We'll talk about my fear of movie theaters. But for the most part... We'll talk about video games here. Okay. We Great. like to tone ourselves as a video game book club. Less paper cuts, more button mashing. It's a book club for people that don't like the feel of paper in their I hands. Actually I actually have suppose. the same amount of paper cuts so far. <laughs> Is that none? Um, no. <laughs> it, uh, no it, further explanation. It turns out that I'm impervious to paper cuts. I don't know if that's like my special gift as a as That's a, your Nordic blood. You know, yeah. strong, uh-huh. right? <laughs> Yeah, I just you got I don't get paper cuts. I've on. tried. You know, I, all I want is to have a paper cut, and then just for the life of me, can't do it. Oh, no. Uh, but yes, we're a video game book club. We're starting our first episode today on God of War. Boy. 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 All right, somebody keep a boy Look counter for us. Look at all of us trying our low bass voices that we don't necessarily Oh, no. <laughs> this is just going to be a podcast where we say the word boy over and over yeah. again. Uh, but yes, we're going to be talking about God of War later on in the episode. But first and foremost, we want to talk about some of the other things that are going on. What are we playing? What are we watching? Uh, Andrew, you said you had a game you wanted to talk about a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What Be- you playing? Before that, I feel like we should also insert a spoiler warning just in general because we're probably just... Yeah, drone, yeah. We'll, we'll be going into spoilers, but we'll talk so, about that more when we go into God of War. If you haven't played God of War yet, stop listening now. Go yeah, play God go, of War, then come back. Go play it, then join back in with us later. We want to build like a community around playing games like this so that you can join us in, have your own thoughts and questions, make this a much more collaborative process between you and us further down the line. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you don't care. You don't care about us. I've done nothing for you yet. Kevin, have you done anything for these people yet? Um, other than inform them of my um, strength against paper cuts, I don't think so. Just you haven't yet. done a damn Not thing yet. for these people. But we're going to do yet. something for you, and we hope that you'll join us on this journey. Okay, do you want to talk about a game, Andrew? Yeah, sorry What you playing? Uh, so, I've actually... I I went home to visit parents uh, this week, so um, while I was there, I did not take my PS4 with me, so I took a brief break from God of War. Mm-hmm. 
I went right back into old school Starcraft on the PC. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So oh, they've actually man. released on the battle.net, they've released a remastered version of oh, it. Oh, that's so cool. That was yeah. so smart of them. So I it's think. got a couple, yeah. like, all just, you know, some of the lines are cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Um, the portraits look like people instead of a series of pixels that you can't make out. Um, that sort of thing. So it's not anything like uh, it's not a massive change, but for those who already have a nostalgia factor, it's kind of nice to to but, see but it. Same map, same unit, same progression, same exactly. tree, same storyline. How much Starcraft little... did you play when you were younger? How much? How much? Yeah, a lot. Oh no, my dad played. Um, I wasn't supposed to watch him because things died and there was blood. In that, <laughs> so, but um, I did. <laughs> so I think he started playing when I was like seven or eight or something and i would just watch and then eventually i started trying some of the easier missions and then i found the cheat codes and i beat them all with the cheat codes and then i got older and i was like oh that was cheap and so then i played it for real so um, now now my, my first question has to be um what's uh, what do you play what do you play what race oh well so i don't do as much with the online okay honestly yeah. i play through the campaigns uh my race of choice is generally the protoss though same. I played a little bit of StarCraft 2, not ton. I never got very good at it, but, but Protoss was, was yeah. definitely the way I went. StarCraft 2 is far more online-based than yeah. StarCraft 1 yeah. ever was. Um, and even in StarCraft 2, though, I played the campaign because I don't like to lose. As you do. And I always lose online, yeah. so <laughs> it's, it's not good for me. People are way too good at that game. My, yeah. my APMs are not nearly high I mean, high people make a job out of yeah. playing. Oh, absolutely. Right. I don't. So, uh, yeah, so I've been playing through that. I beat the Terran campaign again, and I'm halfway through the Zerg campaign, and that's uh, the thing I've been doing besides God of War. Oh, super fun. I, that, that reminds me. A lot of, uh, I spent a lot of time in college playing all the, like, tower defense and the other games inside of StarCraft II, and that was my jam, like playing Vampire or Titans Fair. or those games. Oh, yeah. I loved them so much. I, I used to play playing that more on StarCraft Oh, too. yes. Yeah. Addictively. Uh-huh. Um, but I also didn't do well at that, and then I would get frustrated and really stressed out. Like, for some reason, the game Mafia makes me hyper-tense. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I used to do that all the time. Yeah, I love those those games. It was such a, a good way to use the system in ways that were different. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. that they had that, that connection with their user And I base. didn't have to be good at, like, hotkeys, which mm-hmm. I'm not, so, like, great. Thanks. I very much enjoy the fact that the first game we've ever talked about on this show is, like, the nerdiest RTS you could possibly play. <laughs> Perhaps yeah, except for, like, old-school Warcraft. Yeah. Or... Right, right. Like I said, though, I was very bad at it. I just yeah. played it sometimes with my friends, and I enjoyed playing all of the, the side games, too. Real-time strategy games were just... It's the one genre I just cannot get into for the life of me. Oh, huh, okay. I've only done... So, I I didn't love the first two Warcrafts. Warcraft 2, I was kind of okay about. The first one didn't really do much for me. Okay. Warcraft 3, though, like... Oh, oh, yeah. Loved that game. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Warcraft it's... 3, Age of Empires, Age of Mythology. Uh-huh. In, in terms of talking about mythology, Age of Mythology is how I learned a lot of mythology stuff when I was younger. And yep. what really started my interest in it. Oh, man. So, We're out um... of my death here. <laughs> it's ten minutes into the first episode, and I'm like, I've got nothing to say. That's okay. It's over. It's over <laughs> listening. Thanks for coming uh, by. Kev, you got anything you want to talk about? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm currently just playing God of War because I've, I've really gone full in yeah, on Yeah, you went getting much this. deeper than I did. Uh, either I did. of us did. You may have liked it. <laughs> I, I, just a bit of a spoiler. I did, did indeed very much so enjoy it. But yeah. in terms of TV, uh, I've been watching Barry lately on HBO. Man, I want to watch that so badly, it but I don't have HBO. So For me good. and any other viewers out there who don't know what this is, could you tell us what this is? Yeah, yeah. Give, me, so, give me the lowdown on Barry. Quick, quick synopsis is Barry is um, partially written, created, and the main actor is uh, Bill Hader. Yeah. And he plays an assassin who uh, takes out a hit in Hollywood. <laughs> but then the person that he's supposed to, uh, you know, 
assassinate goes to an acting class and he finds that he wants to be an actor instead <laughs> and so it's all about the crazy mishaps that happen when an assassin tries to become an actor so it's an and... autobiography of bill Hader. right right yeah. exactly exactly <laughs> that show um, so i've read a lot because he did a lot of press before the show premiered and basically this is a show just about like the panic attacks he would have before going on for snl and just yeah. how stressful i've been reading a lot of snl trivia lately but i think a lot of Bill Hader's own personal journey through that show. Considering he's like one of the all-time greats on that show. It's crazy just knowing how terrified he still was to do it. Even when he was like the biggest name on the show for mm-hmm. a time. Uh, I find that so appealing. I just want to watch that show so bad. Yeah, Yeah, find a way to watch it. I, I highly recommend it. If anyone's looking for a new, fun show, uh, check it out. This um, It's what I turn to when I want something a bit lighter. But it actually definitely has some serious notes. Especially, uh, we're about midway through the season now. It, it, it gets real good in terms of actually the depth of story alongside oh, the good time it gives you. I mean, I got a thing. Yeah, what about you, uh, Zach? What was your thing, Mr. Rich? that I've been uh, spending a little bit of time with lately is actually NES Remix. Okay. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with that, that was it was a Wii U game that came out in, I want to say 2014. And it kind of surprised everyone. Nintendo just dropped this game in the middle of a Nintendo Direct. And what it is, is it's 12 NES games broken into these WarioWare-style mini chunks. Oh, no way! It's yeah, cool. it, it's, it's really neat. It was one of the more unique Wii U experiences. And Nintendo's this company that likes to keep rehashing the past because that's yeah, one of the do. best things about them. They have this huge, robust library. But they keep on dipping into the well of the classic NES titles all the time. And I think this is one of the most unique ways to experience it. Uh, whenever I want to show somebody like a really good piece of video game history, I think NES Remix is the best way to do it because these games, most of them have aged very well. I wouldn't say most of them. A lot of them have aged well. like Stuff like the Mario Trilogy, uh, Kirby's Adventure... There, there are games there that have aged really, really well, but I would never sit there and tell somebody, oh, if you want to get into Zelda, go play the original Legend of Zelda. Uh, some people will say that's heresy. I don't think the original Zelda is worth returning to unless you really, really want to play for the entire it's franchise. It's like Mass Effect 1. You don't you don't want to go in back and play Mass Effect 1 before oh, getting to I Mass think Effect that's apples and oranges. Mass Effect 1 is still... Yeah. Way worth playing. Oh, Mass Effect <laughs> 1 is no, great, but when you compare... On one. Yeah, I'd I know that 2 is story-wise. Oh, definitely. in terms of mechanics, I don't want to go back and play Mass Effect 1. But but the nice thing that any of those remix does is that, for take Zelda in particular, it breaks Zelda into these, I think there's 16 levels of Zelda that'll do certain things like go into this cave, bomb the secret entrance, defeat this boss. Like It just gives you the Cliff Notes versions of these games. Hmm. Uh, so that you can kind of have a familiarity with them and then say, okay, well, I've experienced this one. Uh, and it got a sequel, too, with uh, uh, 12 more games. And that's the better one because it's much more later style games. The first one's big weakness is that some of the games are like golf and pinball. And uh, uh, Here's a little taste of golf on the it's, end. It's, it's, oh, my God. The golf game, the way they end, there's six levels to the golf game. And the last level of it is get a hole in one on this level. And playing that game is so bad it, there's no way to judge like how far you're going to hit the ball so literally trying to get a hole in one in this game it took me about 30 tries oh until God. i could finally get it bowser kept taking it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. bowser kept swinging by being like this ball is mine so uh, 
my question is, is do you play all of the golf games, or is it mix the golf games in with the you other You can play titles? the games in any sort of order. So when you start the game, there's six games originally unlocked, and then mm-hmm. as you, you can uh, get up to three stars. And the more stars you earn, the more games you unlock, and the more of the remixes that you unlock. And the remixes are like the, the cream of the crop of the game, because what they do is essentially like official Nintendo ROM hacks. So it will do things like... Uh, defeat this many enemies as Mario playing Super Mario Brothers, but you're invincible the entire way through. Or sometimes they're like auto scroll through levels. Uh, one of the coolest ones I saw, I think this was this was in the first one, but it was uh, the the 25 meters level in the original Donkey Kong, but you're playing as Link. Uh, oh, so it, it hacks Link into the game, and basically you can't jump, so you have to finish the level without being able to jump. And doing that in Donkey Kong is so difficult mm. uh but it's like a cool way to experience between the the, the two games in this compilation uh you get 24 games and they kind of they touch on games like tennis and urban champion as well with like little levels co- dedicated to those so it's just a really cool tour through uh nintendo's side of the nes library it doesn't touch on things like tech mobile or final fantasy or anything but it's a really neat bite-sized way to experience basically the first six or seven years of nintendo's history and i'll tell you okay some of these are good and some of these are ice climber which is a game i would not wish on my worst enemy i hate ice climber <laughs> and you know one thing that, that nintendo i think has going for it more than the other other two systems right now is that they have a very deep and old bank of exclusive characters yeah they've held on to their their characters yeah. and their properties much more tightly than the other uh systems have i would i would argue that i think sony is really starting to dig into the well of their class i mean literally we're, yeah. this first episode is about a classic sony ip revitalized sure. for the modern era i, but mean, I think sure i would argue though what kevin's getting at is the branding done with those characters right. is far stronger from nintendo the i could agree world with knows that. sure the whole world knows mm-hmm. mario the and whole they world know them knows pikachu as and nintendo touted as mascots of their respective franchises so it's sure. like it doesn't have to be rehashed in any way because it's still there and everybody knows it. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? No, there's a much better, higher plateau of Nintendo characters than, say, like Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank. And mm-hmm. Though Slide I do Cooper. love them very Oh, dearly. those are It kind of tells you a characters. little bit about why Nintendo has managed to stay as a company since 1889, clearly. So. Oh, hey, look, that's so look at you. That's look at Andrew cool. with this random trivia Fun fact there. from Andrew. Oh, hey. I don't have any more info. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, But yeah, him. it's a really cool uh, Wii U title that I... I hope gets a fresh life on the Switch because that's been what oh, Nintendo's yeah. wanting to do right now is bring all these Wii U classics over to the Switch and right also, now. Also, that seems like something that'd be so perfect to be able to play mobile as well. Uh, they vignettes. did. They 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 compressed the two games into one on the 3DS called okay. Ultimate NES Remix. So it is there is a portable version of it. But I think I mean I just want every single game ever made on the Switch because I I, I want to sit in the park and play these freaking games because right. oh, yeah, they're so the good. Uh, and and there's so much that's still being released for the 3DS that I'm just like like uh, the the last Nintendo Direct. They announced that they're porting Luigi's Mansion, which is one of my favorite oh. GameCube games. But it's going to 3DS. And I only think that's happening because I think this game's been in development for long enough that Nintendo wasn't sure if the Wii U was going to be a smash success. like Or, the, the not the Wii U, the, the Switch was going to be a smash success like it is right now. So they started developing this game for the 3DS, which still has a humongous install base. Like, everyone oh, yeah. and their mom owns a 3DS. Yeah, I have one. Um, I know, all three of us do. Hey. I mean, it's kind hey, of the look only... at you existing mainstream portable gaming device like really currently active yeah you yeah know what i mean mm-hmm. and, until yeah. The, the switch which is now trying to take that over. yeah and yeah. i i think that's going to happen more and more as we i i've started seeing 
uh, switches on my commute me into too. work on the and subway. Like Absolutely. I see them on the subway a lot more often now, which so makes I feel me. Like that's like I wouldn't. Want, I don't know. In my brain, it's just like I spend a lot of money on that. I don't want to take it into the public. Oh, you got to get a carrying oh, case yeah, for that I bad would, boy. I, would, I mean, I obviously, public, yeah, but yeah. You know what I mean? I wouldn't. I I personally am kind of like. Ooh, let me just display this really nice technology on the subway train. Yeah, but that's how I feel about every like new piece of technology I get. That's how I felt when I first had a DS out in public. Yeah, like the DS, cool. the DS is the console that like I felt revolutionized gaming to to me because it's besides besides the the Wii, it's like had the biggest install base of any console ever created. I think besides the Wii and the PlayStation Two, everyone had a DS. Mm-hmm. Everyone was playing Pokemon and mm-hmm. just like everything that the DS done. I, I I still think a lot about Mario Kart DS as like the first game oh, yeah. that I genuinely drilled hundreds of hours playing online. I played that game so dang much, probably more than any other Mario Kart. I love Mario Kart DS. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's our Switch talk for the day. Yeah, that's yeah, Switch the talk. talk. Today. And Andrew, we'll you just got a Switch. I got a Switch. And it's you're in the going box to get still. a Switch soon, so we can play yeah. Switch games on I'm the gonna, show. I'm going to get a, a Switch next month in June. That's oh, my, so my month where I randomly get three paychecks, so I'll use part of I'm, one of those. I'm like chomping at the bit to discuss Mario Odyssey with you guys. Oh yeah, well, we, we'll get there. We'll get yeah, there. We'll, we'll, we'll get a Mario well, we Odyssey episode yeah. happening. Yeah, don't worry. It's the only game I have so far. So yeah, cool. It's going to feel real fresh. Real nice. There was one other game I wanted to talk about today, and it's actually also a compilation of NES games, and it's the Mega Man Legacy Collection. Okay. Uh, Are you guys Mega Man fans? You know what? I haven't played too many, to be honest. I've I've only played a couple or bits of them. I've only ever really played... I had Mega Man 64 when I was a kid, uh, which is uh, the the Nintendo 64 port of Mega Man Legends. That's the only one I've ever really played. My best friend growing up had Mega Man X on his Super Nintendo. We played that a couple of times. And I've watched uh, Eagle Raptor's Seagullitis video on that. A million and a half times. I think that was more of my experience with Mega Man 2. That's more something that I played with friends when I was younger, and we would yeah. take turns at death sort of deal. Yeah, I've just um, kind of had this fascination about uh, the 8-bit yeah. era right now, so I've definitely been, like, between the NES Remix and uh, Mega Man, which is hard. I don't know, like, how much you guys know about that franchise, but it is difficult. Uh, and I if, I if I were to play these games straight through, like, without save states or anything, I would... Rage quit in a second because I'm not mm-hmm. really the kind of person that likes difficulty mm-hmm. in his video games. Sure. So thankfully, the Mega Man Legacy Collection has save states. So basically, every time I finish a screen, like I'm just okay, quick save right there, and let's keep going. Uh, as much as I hate to promote the fact that I use save scumming, it's the best way to do it. But those games are mastered so dang well. Uh, mm-hmm. Just the way it introduced a. It just take uh, I, I'm playing for the first one right now. The, the Legacy Collection is the first six games, all of which came out on the NES between, I think, 1987 and 1993. And the first one, uh, I think it's in Cutman stage. Like, just the, the way it teaches you the gameplay, not through dialogue or anything, but just plain old playing the game. There's a moment in the stage where you are supposed to, like, board these platforms that move back and forth. And the rail that these platforms are moving on are really thick most of the time, and then there's these certain sections that are really small and thin. And before you can ever jump on the platform for the first time, it'll pass over the thin part, and it drops down. And you can't see that coming. Mm. So it drops down, and it comes back up, and then you can jump on it. So you know, without anyone telling you, that if it passes over the, the, the thin part, it'll drop back down again. And that's just like, it's mastery of game design. Uh, they just don't make games like that anymore. They don't. And I think that's beautiful. Uh, I think the last time I felt something like that, actually, the game we'll be playing next episode, which will be Celeste, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about I'm later I'm really on. excited to get oh, to that. I can't yeah. wait to talk about that game with you guys. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'm having a blast just playing a bunch of old 8-bit games. Uh, I really want to dig into the Disney Afternoon Collection as well, uh, which Capcom... It's another mix of Capcom games, and it's six games based on the the early to mid-90s Disney cartoons, like DuckTales, Tailspin, oh, Chip and Dale, yeah, I remember and those. Darkwing Duck. Oh my gosh, uh, yeah. Have you guys watched the new DuckTales at I all yet? I haven't, but I've been... I've been it's I've seen it so good. As far as these, this whole revival movement in the '90s goes, Ducktales is a freaking success. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the cast is is ridiculous. Oh, I know, I us, know. So. I saw pictures of uh, what's his name, Ben Schwartz. Oh, uh, they apparently did a panel at Disneyland, and he's just like partying around with Mickey Mouse. And I was like, I want that life. I <laughs> Give it to there. me. Can I steal your place? Can I steal your place in life? Can I retroactively be on Parks and Recreation? Thank you. <laughs> That'd be so nice. <laughs> it would be swell. Uh, yeah. But that's that's my life right now. Yeah, good man. Should we uh, talk about God of War? Let's do it. All right. Hey, folks. Hope you're enjoying the first episode. Future Zach here with just a couple of quick things before we start talking about God of War properly. I want to give a couple of quick thank yous. First off, to Mitch Allison for the creation of our cover art. It looks dang cool, and I love it oh so very much. We also decided on a theme song after we recorded this episode, so I will thank them here. The song is called We Are Here For You by a wonderful Brooklyn-based band called the James Rockets. All their information, including where you can listen to more of their songs, is at thejamesrocket.bandcamp.com. We're going to start talking about God of War properly now. We start off with a rather lengthy discussion about the game's mechanics, which don't have so many spoilers in them. We'll probably spoil a couple of gameplay-ish things, but if you want to go into the game, if you haven't played it yet and you want to go into it clean, I recommend going to play the game and then coming back to listen to the rest of the episode. We'll be diving into the story discussion later on, and that's going to, we're going to talk about everything, including the ending, uh, and then we're actually going to talk a little bit about its relation to genuine Norse mythology. Andrew had a lot of really cool stuff to talk about there. Uh, all of those things will be time-marked in the show notes, so you can skip right over to where you want to be, or just skip over to the ending if you want to go play God of War for yourself and then come back. Okay, that's all I have here. Enjoy the rest of the show. <laughs> so we're going to dive into our discussion of God of War now. Uh, we'll put a spoiler warning up here right now. I think I'll okay. mention in the show notes like when we really start to dive into the spoiler discussion and then put a post where yeah. we stop mm-hmm. that's uh, a talking idea. about that. But some, let's some start off uh, with a little segment I like to call Good Boy, Great Boy, Bad Boy. Great, uh, yeah. Where we discuss how much we actually played. Yeah, I think I got uh, you guys beat. I think I'm the greatest boy. I think so. I think right so. Now. Just like to give context about our critiques because Absolutely. I know I yeah. have a much different feeling a, about this there's game. A, there's um, one of the three opinions is mildly less informed based on experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But for uh, okay. we'll get there. We'll get there. Ragging on Zach more. Yeah. Later. Andrew, how much did you play? I beat the story. I completed the story, and I probably got. I know it was like 70 to 80% completion in Midgard. I didn't ever go back to Alfheim and like I want to spend some time exploring the other realms, but I just sort of did the story segments there and didn't revisit them because I wanted to do more of the exploration in Midgard because I found it to be the the larger realm. Mm -hmm. Um, I was out of town, like I said, at home for a week. So that took some of my time away from the game. So I prioritized finishing the story and getting through that. Sure. Kev, how much did you do? So I did the same at the end in prioritizing the uh, story, but I actually uh, 100%ed all the realms except for Midgard, uh, and all I have left is the uh, Queen Valkyrie fight in Midgard, and I did all of Muspelheim and Niflheim, and I got all of the equipment from both, 
but I need to do the um, the second round of the trials in Wuzbelheim. So that's all I have left. I've 100%ed all the collectibles and stuff, which I'm not that kind of person. I usually don't do 100%ing it, but I, spoiler, love this game, and I loved exploring it and going around it so much that I felt like I wanted to do these collectibles. And uh, it, it's something that, that's very different for me. I usually don't have that, but... Mm. See, I just, that's I, usually me every time, so it was actually hard to edit myself down to, uh-huh. like, okay, you have, have, like, three stuff. days before the podcast is recorded. Spoiler, I, like, finished the game today. Yeah. Two yeah. hours ago. But, like, <laughs> I, I unlocked Sneffelheim, and then I just, I stayed in Niflheim and just played in there for the better part of a day. Oh. I, I had a day set aside where I was going to just, oh. just play God of War, and I got to Niflheim, and I was like, great, I'm going to do this for a while, and I loved it. I I, I, I will, just did. I will state loudly right now yeah. that I hated Niflheim, and I tried it three times, and I said, no, bye! Oh, man, you should <laughs> understand, that, did you get the structure of it? The diamond? Sort, sort of. Oh, man. But I, <laughs> I loved it. Did, I, like, kind of gathered that, but then, like, was getting murdered too often by the enemies and or mm-hmm. the walls. Yeah. And I was like, I'm kind of just, like, done. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to continue playing things that are not going to kill me every two seconds. But even when it comes to things just like the the Odin's Ravens and hitting them while they're flying in circles and like trying to time out those throws over a distance that might be repetitive, I was like, oh, I got so close to you, bird. I will get you next time, bird. And then I would. And I'd be like, boy! You know? Kevin just sat in his apartment the whole time and every time he was happy about something, boy! He would just text us the word, boy! He was sad about something, boy. Boy. I don't All right, like Zach, Zach, how Zach, how much did you play? I played you the first 12 hours, and that is as far as I am ever going to play. Where where, where did you get to in 12 hours? I finished... God, I don't even remember. I finished, like, the first <laughs> realm you go to. I Alvin? put out. Yeah, yeah. I put out, like, the, the, the black snot that was coming out of the nose... Yep. Uh, now, okay. Yeah. I just you, I, I don't breath. like yep. this game, and I don't understand why people like it so much. And like, truth be told, I, right before we started recording, I was watching Andrew finish the game, and the late game stuff looks fantastic. Oh, it's awesome! But the game is so boring to play in the first couple of hours, and I can't for the life of me stick with it. So you just uh, we'll we'll just cover this really fast and just say that Zach is wrong. No, yeah, um, it's, uh, he's, every I, opinion matters. He might yeah, be. Totally. No, you know, That's we'll true. see how next week goes. We uh, probably okay, can I can I can I explain myself here? Yes, yes, you can. Before we you dive will. into anything else, here is why I don't like this game. I have a rule, and the rule is called: if I don't like moving the character around, then I don't like the game, and I don't like moving Kratos around. I find. Okay, here's here's how I feel. I'm so flustered because I want to like this game so badly because there's so much of it I do appreciate. I think its story is fantastic. I think its presentation is fantastic. I think it looks bloody beautiful. It's one of the best-looking games I have ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. But if I don't enjoy playing it, then I don't feel like I need to see I can watch the rest on YouTube, which I probably will do after this. Because I do want to see the resolution to the story. I think it's a strong story. But here's... I literally... So I tried starting the game on hard. I, I'm trying to play games on higher difficulties now because I feel like it gets much more of the mechanics and, like, you learn a lot more about the game if you're playing it on a harder difficulty. And I got to the first combat and I died eight times in a row. And every time I got a little bit further... Because that first combat session is really long. I think there's, like, four waves of enemies you have to defeat right at the top of the game. And I after died. After the first boss fight, after the, the, the stranger fight. No, not even the stranger fight. The, the literal first combat. 
uh, uh, when when Atreus like runs ahead for two seconds. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just kept dying and dying and dying, so I bumped the game down to normal, and I'm still dying. And I don't want to say it's because like I'm not good at video games. I'd like to think that I am perfectly decent at video games. But my problem with God of War is that for the first time in my life, I feel like a control scheme just did not mesh with me at all. No matter which tr- which which of the default. Uh, control options were available. Sure. And, 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 and I'll, I'll point to that really quick first, because I think that it's important to note that this game is very different from its predecessors in terms sure. of Sure. Oh, mm-hmm. this, this night game, day different. The, the combat is much slower and methodical, but I really enjoyed it. I liked taking my time more slowly in those fights. They took me a while. I'll, I'll right, totally admit right. that. Oh, yeah. But I did not mind the fact that I would get one or two hits and then dodge, roll away, throw the axe a couple times. And then, that was what know, it was. This this is a strategic combat game. The yeah. God of War of the past trilogy um, yeah. was a hack and slash. It so, was a button mash. It was like you have a full 3D view of the whole battlefield and you can just kind of move around and murder things pretty easily. Mm-hmm. This one was very much... And here's what I appreciated about the combat is I felt like, personally, it was challenging to figure out. It was a little counterintuitive. And so I had to go in my brain like, okay... What's easiest for me? I just run across the battlefield really far away and throw the axe and mm-hmm. then run to the other side I did that and a bit throw the beginning. axe. So, like, cowardly taxic- tactics were maybe how I started things out, but I mastered those pretty quickly. And then I would get thrown into a boss fight, like the first troll that you have to fight, mm-hmm. where it literally, like, takes off a third to a half of your health with a hit. Mm-hmm. And so it essentially says, hey... You should probably learn how to dodge. Oh, yeah. And so I, like, caught those little subtle hints that the game was was throwing as it ramped up each boss fight. So by the time I had the boss fight with the stranger, which, frankly, is, like, I don't know if you could die in that one or not, but it's, like, real long. And you have to go through several rounds of him having five bars of health. And I was like, ooh, I think I'm really good at dodging suddenly. And, like, (laughs) so I was like, wow, the boss fight before this prepared me for a mechanic that is clearly going to be a massive part of this Yeah, game. and it lets you play the way you want to, which I like as well. If you're more of a blocking-type player, you can play on the blocking side of it. If you're more a dodging-type player, you can play on the dodging side, and I definitely am a dodger as well. Yeah. So, like, I just got really good at the dodge mechanics, and um, I, I got I got used to the new camera quick. Like, it, it took a second to get used to. Uh, I, I couldn't. I couldn't for the life of me. And yeah. I I tried. I played... My, my, my time step said 12 hours of gameplay. Yeah, you got, you got to Alfheim, so that's... At that's, that's, that that's point, it was just like, I'm either going to try to slog my way through this game I'm I'm clearly yelling at the TV how is this mm-hmm. fun I turned into my this is how I feel about it my dad played the first one with me all the way back in like 2005 I think I was 14 or 15 at the time when we played through it together and he couldn't uh, do like any of the quick time events like when you tap circle rapidly which this game uses as well and I just I hate that as a gameplay mechanic I don't understand how rapidly tapping a button makes a game more fun or immersive yeah. well, in any it single way this, this one it doesn't necessarily matter how quick you tap it actually you could tap but it at a rather like tepid pace. Here's, here's what I'll say I'm actually this is probably the only thing I'll take Zach's time mm. but I also to a degree, there were not as many quick time events. I, like there were kind of are in the beginning. There's overall, though, comparatively Very to few. old God of Wars. Sure, no, there's like one events. every other second but in the original God of War. There were. I felt like, especially in like the final boss fight, I felt like the quick time events got a little overused and took away from my overall enjoyment of the fight. Well, we'll get to the final boss fight. What, I think I mean, later, I but I, I yeah. do have thoughts on it, which I actually have a, a point. What that I, what I, I feel to. is that the game doesn't give you enough to play with at start, and it hides all of the best content 
much later in a game that I don't... It's it's the Final Fantasy thirteen argument. It has really good stuff, but it's 15 hours in, and if you can't get through those 15 hours, then you're not going to see well, the good it's, stuff. Well, it's the concept of, of a, a building and a progression system. Like, in terms of getting... The, the combat is hard at the beginning because you need to invest the experience and get further <sighs> into the game to get your dodge attacks, to get your parries, to get all the things that make that combat fun. I love the moment when I realize... When I dodge an attack, that sucks. But once you get the actual dodge attack, like, oh, this feels great. And I actually, I liked that. It made me feel the growth with Kratos throughout yes. the time. In terms of, like, for him, he's learning how to fight again with this axe. Like, this is a different weapon than he's typically used to. Oh. So it takes some time for him to get acclimated with it. And I was totally cool with that. I could not for the life of me. And it's also, like, the, the, the camera angle and how you can't see anything that's happening behind you. The arrows did nothing for me. I could never see when the arrows were happening. Like, it's the first time I've ever felt like there's too much on the screen. That if I have to worry about things I can't see behind me, I know there's a quick turn button, but it's never going to work for me. It oh, was just I didn't like, use it. I never used it either. I would just dodge. But... The, the game feels like it requires you to do it and I just can't see when anything's nope. actively coming for me and I couldn't get timing down at all and like literally I feel like an old man complaining about this game and I'm terrified that I'm complaining about this game because like anyone that says anything negative about this game on the internet will get killed and luckily we're nobodies like people will discover later episodes of the show God willing and like <laughs> nobody will listen to this first episode outside of like the immediate friendship. In two years frenzies. you're gonna get a series in two years, of death threats. Oh my god I'm gonna get death threats. Yeah you're just gonna get Twitter attacks. That's how we know we've made it. It's oh, this game just just made me so angry the entire way through because I want to I, I want to love this game and I can't because I can't grasp I, I can't grasp the game's combat I can't grasp the game's world it's not fun to move in I don't like games where I can't jump whenever I want to. I feel like jumping is my favorite thing to do in a video game, and if a game doesn't allow me to jump, and it doesn't give me anything fun to do outside of it, it just doesn't flow for me. And I just felt like the entire time that my fingers were just clumsily going over this controller that made no sense. It's the first time a game's control scheme just did not make sense to me. No matter how much I put into it, no matter how many of the different uh, angles I tried to handle it, it, it just it feels like this is a game that's not for me. And that's fair. I, I, I did not encounter those issues. I, I liked the, the camera in this. I liked the control of it. That's one thing that bugged me about the original God of War games. Is I hated the fixed camera. Yeah, I hated right. it so much because for me, it was a cheap way to hide chests most of the time. That's what that fixed camera angle was. is a cheap way to hide chests and make edges a pain in the butt. But I never felt like I wasn't getting enough information with those fixed camera angles. And see, I, I felt like I got enough with the one that I was given here. Like, there's a part of that you need to really keep your enemies in front of you. And if that means dodging around the battlefield until you can round it up so they are all in front of you and that takes some time, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the icon around them. And I got good enough at seeing when it was a yellow strike and when it was a red one and when it was blinking. And most of the time, whenever I'd see an arrow, I would just dodge and just get myself into a better position. In terms of playing in that strategy realm, mm -hmm. that's how I found my success. Is I would put myself in a place where having the fight here would be advantageous. And I, if I found myself surrounded... I would do anything I could to get out of it, even at the sake of slowing down the combat. And uh, I got through a lot of the beginning of the game, like like Andrew, with the throwing the axe and recalling it, throwing it again. But I actually, I Which found that so really much fun. fun. It's yeah. it's so fluid. The, 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 the throw so and fluid, recall, the little why? sounds when it hits stuff on its way back are so satisfying. Why is there a different button for recalling the axe than there is to throw the axe? Because it's a you get a skill later that uh, if you push that button. Why wouldn't they give that to, to me right? I want it now. See, you yeah, I want the good stuff right now. now. So you're, Boy, so you're a millennial. <laughs> you're I'm the oldest one in the room, motherfuckers. 
I don't. No, you're person. older than me, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> I'm the crotchiest man in the room. Yeah, that's like, more accurate. There, there's no reason <laughs> that throwing the axe and recalling the axe should not be the same button. But, I do not understand that decision at all. There is a reason. Yeah. There's no reason. Yeah. There's no reason at all. Legitimate reason. Santa Monica, there is no reason to do that to me. And and we, this is just where we disagree. And yep. uh, I I I, and so for I the love the rest it. of the episode. It's just me and Kevin. Bye, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zach Zach has had his time being angry, and uh, no, he can still comment on stuff. But oh, one overall, more thing. Half of the half of the freaking baddies are not fun to fight. The 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 the, the, the witchy thing. The revenants. The revenants. Why do those exist? I will admit, I never liked fighting the revenants. Why yeah, do those exist? I'm still just kind of like, admittedly, now that like, once you're further on in the game and Atreus has magic arrows yeah. that can oh, yeah. stun them and can shock them, like that's way more helpful. Yeah. But he's also um, just so inaccurate and I never know where he is at any uh, time. I, I point to things. I had so many problems trying to get him to actually hit Did things. Did you log on to enemies? Locking on didn't it was, help. It was where you were looking yeah. that he would, he would shoot. shoot. So you have to actually but when I lock onto him. something, then like I can't see anything else around me, and there's no easy way to get off of the lock-ons. I mean, it's it's a it's a gameplay style. I yeah. loved the fact that this camera was like a one-shot from Kratos' perspective yeah. sort of style. I loved it because I think it enhanced the story. For me, sure there was frustration, and sure you had to build up, and sure you're not a god at the start of the game. I don't want to be a god from the start of the game. I know there are people who, like, get their rocks off from just, like, going in and murdering the shit out of everything. From, sure, like, sure. One. I don't like that. That's boring, and I don't need to sit through 15 hours of just doing that. You and know I what I mean? in this instance, it added to the story, Absolutely. Too. If this it's game... combat, especially cooperative combat with Atreus, mm-hmm. got easier as the relationship developed between the two of them. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really such a good strategy. by the end of the game i was literally like atreus was as much a part of my battle strategy as anything else well so like that brief period where he gets sick and you don't have him i was like i don't know how to fight i don't know how to i fight. just ran through that part of the story as fast <laughs> yeah. as possible to get him back but for me i upgraded all of atreus's stuff first yeah it's actually what i would prioritize his things because i knew that that support would be so right useful. i was like i want him to have more arrows i mm-hmm. want him to be to doing shoot more faster. damage when I mean, I literally had Atreus killing enemies by himself. Oh, yeah. Like, if there was a, Nightmares. a fire shooter from, like, really high Nightmares up or always, or, always. Or, yeah. Or just, like, focus on them, fire four arrows, they're gone, and then mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about them. He, w- he became an excellent partner. Early on in the game, it's harder to use him. His arrows are pretty ineffectual. He's just there as a distraction. You know what I mean? And so it teaches you the mechanic of using him to distract at first, which, mm-hmm. sure, sometimes... It's more. really useful, too, because if you use him to distract, like, if you're about to get hit by a Draugr and he shoots him and the Draugr turns to him, you can walk right up to that Draugr, charge that big R2 attack, and get that Executioner's Cleave in. Sure. So rewarding. If what this game made me appreciate is games that give you... Uh, God of War 2 did this. It gives you a taste of the late-game power early on, so that you know what you'll become later on in the game. So when they take that power away from you, or something like Metroid Prime. Metroid Prime does this beautifully in its opening couple of minutes. It gives you all the powers that you need to have later on in the game. And it shows you how to use them really briefly. It just goes over everything. And then it takes it all away from you so that you can get all of those powers back. And I think if this game did something along those lines and said... The really good stuff is going to come around later. Like, if they just had, like, a flashback to the end of God of War 3 or something, just to, like, set what's happening. Like, you get that moment where you get to kill Zeus in this new playstyle. Freaking awesome. But the problem with that is that his, his weapons were so different, and they handle so differently from the right. axe. So, oh, for me, that wouldn't have been rewarding. Like, I, I, I get that concept, 
but I don't think it's necessary in this case, and especially because the series already did that once. Yeah, the series can't keep doing that with every iteration. Metroid does that like almost every game. Yeah, and, and I don't think that's a great idea to keep having your game start like that. Personally, I, I like that. <laughs> How is this so one sided on me? Sorry about it. Well, because you're, oh, you're just the, um, the one. That I also the like. Opinion. I just personally wouldn't want to rehash any of God of War three. Yeah. I'm actually. I have not played all of the old games. Yeah. Um, I've played chunks of every single one of them, and I have looked up and watched scenes, and, like, I'm pretty experienced of what happens in the old games. And I really, like, two lost me a little bit, and three, I was really just like, this is not a protagonist that I can like. He's literally just... Oh, sure, 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 sure. And that's why this game was such a change, because it's such a different character, and I enjoyed that. Taking this person that was all rage and fury, and then having him learn is Awesome. It was I literally it. one of the things, and you watch it, it, it and there's, it's peppered in throughout. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But right, like the final scenes of the game, I was like, oh my god, this game has given a weight to death that Kratos never ever was aware of before. And that sort of depth and growth of character is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they actually dealt with the fact that like death is like a finality and you've killed something and you shouldn't kill needlessly. And it was like, whoa, okay. God yeah. of War. Good Here we are. You. This is not God what I thought was coming Jeez. at all. Yeah. You know, I thought it was just going to be like, here's Thor, murder him. Here's Odin, murder yeah. him. Here's like all the... And, and everything them. this game has to say about like parenthood and stuff too is also uh-huh. such a change from anything God of War before. Not that I know the first thing at now, all. Now, did this game not go places that something like, say, The Last of Us went to before? In terms of telling the story about like a parent and child, well, it's such a different dynamic of. I guess so, child. since like it's not a biological yes. child in Last right. of Us, and it's also a very different scenario. This that is makes a sense. parent and child undertaking a journey based on. I mean, you're seeing a parent and a child who are grieving a mother and a wife mm-hmm. in very different ways. Very different ways. We don't know each other, and they that creates so much tension. With her. Correct. So, like, you do have that sort of rocky relationship from the start. Sure, but. Ultimately, they're they are blood. They have bonds because of that. Um, he's Kratos from the beginning is taking responsibility for his son, whereas in like Last of Us, Joel was sort of like, oh, I don't mm-hmm. want anything to do with right, me, right, right, kind of thing. So, so that there's that, and then there's less of the like, we are literally holding on to the last shred of hope in the entire world. To like that's that's the quest in The Last of Us is like there is mm-hmm. one last chance for humanity. We are it. We have to get to this place. Whereas like this is not like this is more of a, a journey of grief and a journey mm-hmm. of coming to closer with your mother or wife's passing and the growth that they do together through that journey. Absolutely, that that growth is is so paramount in the storytelling yeah. of it. Um, do we, we kind of want to shift now out of the, the more the mechanic side and really get into kind of the story parts? Uh, of there's it? there's one more thing I want yeah, to talk about sure. mechanics wise, and that was the progression system because uh, it's it's very different. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas like the original games didn't really have too much of a progression system, you learned a couple of extra moves along your the way. This game goes like spells. full uh, Western JRPG or Western Japanese role playing game, <laughs> Western, Western RPG game. style like loot and and specific like cooldowns and this thing and that thing. I also didn't like it here, uh, and I think the reason that was was because for most of the stretch of the game I played, and again this might change if I were to play the game more, but it it. Half the time, whenever I got a new piece of loot from a treasure chest or anything, it was less powerful than the thing I already had equipped. Or it had skill boosts and abilities that didn't appeal to me at all. So it felt like going off and doing the side missions and getting uh, all of this extra content was just stuff that I didn't 
want to use. I mean, and I felt that happen almost every single time I tried to get like one of the optional chests or try to stray off the beaten path. I think I did like the first side quest that becomes available to you and the stuff that I got out of it was useless to me. It, it leads to later side quests that give you more things. Yeah, you there's know, a little bit sure. of that. Also, I, I, when I first encountered, when they were like, here's the armor and weapon system and the enchantments, and I was like, ugh. This is a whole mechanic that I don't really care about. Yeah. And I don't want to deal with it. And it's a lot. And so I don't know if it was just my approach because that's my response is like, I don't I don't need to have all of the armors in the world. And I don't actually even need to have the best stat armor in the world. I need the one that works the best for my style mm-hmm. of gameplay. So I sort of tunnel visioned it for myself. And okay. I was like, great. I die a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did the same. I, I die same. a lot. And I need anything that can help me keep my health. So when I got like a talisman that was like you can give yourself a health boost, it's like a green. Yeah, I used that until almost the end of the game, and I kept it up until I had a legendary one that gave me a health boost. You know, sure. exact like, same thing I did. I did that. All of Atreus's armors that I put on were the ones that were like Atreus sometimes find health stones when yes, you're hurt. The runic and I'm like, ones. Yes, he will. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> he what is going to save me. <laughs> health and health regen are such a big thing yeah. in this game. Oh, I think so too. Um, so I just sort of honestly, I could see the value in some of the other ones, and I was like, great, that. Was would increase like my power with frost it would make all of my axe attacks stronger yeah mm-hmm. i can see how that would be useful to somebody i'm more interested in the health like i don't know if that's that i have a more defensive approach to battling in these games and i'm kind of like i don't want to do an entire battle in the red and like worried that i'm gonna die any second like mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. actually thrilling for me that's just like stressful and you know maybe that's why we enjoyed the games because we probably take a bit more naturally defensive of play styles mm-hmm. and i think that it's oh yeah, for me, for me, too. I'm a lot more of it. Like when I play games like that, I am always trying to stay on the offense, and mm-hmm. that's because like the the hack and slashers. Like I, I, I think you and I talked about this, Kevin, but I keep comparing the game to something more like yeah. Bayonetta, mm-hmm. uh, which has just this constant, frequent, lively, always moving kind of feel to right. it, where else. This is much more slow and methodical, and you do need to plan things out, but it just makes the game feel really slow and draggy to and me. And that, that, that's just your, your, your opinion. If, I, if you I go into so. it expecting a Bayonetta experience, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just not what it is. I think the bottom line game. is, I, I, this is just not my yeah. kind of and game. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that at the end of the day. If it's not exactly. your kind of game, it's there not your kind of game. There are things wrong with that. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, let's move on to the plot, because there's yeah. a lot to unpack here. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a ton. I don't believe I've ever seen, outside of something like Jack and Daxter to Jack 2, a game change its tone mm-hmm. so severely between installments. Uh, even if you remove all the mechanical changes, like this is, it's still a gruesome, violent affair. But, like, the, the first boss battle ends with a neck snapping. Like, that's, mm-hmm. it's crazy how violent the game still is, but it gives, I guess, a broader meaning to the definition of its violence. Yeah, I think its violence is best portrayed in how Kratos does it now. Before yeah. he was constantly screaming and like he was this embodiment of rage, essentially. Ares! Yeah, right. And now he's doing it because he has to. He's yeah. doing it because he has to protect it's his out son. Out of necessity. And all yeah. of this is like, I need to get this thing done with my son and take uh, my wife slash his mother's ashes to the highest mountain in the realms mm-hmm. while I still can. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of like... He has to plan a lot more, and I think that that makes the violence feel much more grounded. It's not as explosive a violence. It's more. It's almost more personal, yeah. In a way, oh, I'm and especially especially journey. with the axe, because the axe you get in so much closer most of the time than you did with the blades. The blades had so much more range, except for the right. throwing part. So, like all of those finishers were slower. Like if you really wanted to finish them with that axe, you'd usually be a slow charging thing. 
that felt so much more calculated and less just like blind fury, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that was great. I, I think it, it, it represented Kratos super well, and it represented what he's trying to teach to Atreus, because mm-hmm. that's a lot of this game too, is teaching Atreus to deal with his rage and to make choices of his own. I think the game very much nails the relationship. Yeah. yeah. Which and, is like the core concept of the game. Yeah. Like the game doesn't work if you're not rooting for Kratos and Atreus to come out of this on the other side oh, closer. Totally. And I think the game just beat by beat really, really yeah. builds on that relationship. It's actually really well. a pretty astonishing accomplishment to like to portray such a grounded, relatable, realistic relationship between a father and son where you can relate to things in both of them and their reactions to yeah. things in such a high fantastical world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? One thing that I really think summarizes a lot of that game and the relationship is one of the main aspects of, of completing your journey is you find a whole bunch of stuff about Tyr and what he's trying to accomplish in, in hiding the giants away in Jotunheim. Um, and essentially what it comes down to is that he's been trying to hide them until gods grow good, is one of uh, Tyr's quotes that you find on a signpost. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, this will happen when the gods grow good. And the fact that Kratos is a consideration of gods growing good, who thought we but would is it really? Yeah. Is it really Kratos, or is it more Atreus is the consideration because he has some of his mother's spirits, Right, Kratos well, having a greater understanding of depth and, and things like that is actually learning from his son just and as much as his son is learning from him. And that, that, that's, the, that's the grow part. That's the grow <laughs> part of it. Is he's being grown in a good way. He, like, the, the we're going to start getting into a little bit more spoilers now. I think we kind of yeah, need yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, when uh, Atreus realizes that he's half god, he has this time where he becomes uh, the sassiest of sass I pants. Actually, wrote and, I, in my notes, I literally put. Let me find it. Is it sassiest? And Atreus sucks now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hated him so much for that section because Kratos like, is trying to every spare time you're him like from fire that. an arrow. He's like whatever. And did you have the times too where he didn't? He wouldn't fire arrows when yes. you tell him and to. And I was very confused because I was like, "Is this a glitch or is this no. intentional? I can't tell what's happening." Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's exactly but I'm the very point. Very mad. Oh man, <laughs> but. The fact that he has that moment and he comes back from it when he realizes his mistake and the fact that he has now banished them to Helheim for a hot second. Oh no. He takes the responsibility of that action because Kratos teaches him. And then like that growing good, both Kratos is helping Atreus grow good and Atreus is helping Kratos grow good even at this later point in his life. Yeah. Um, I thought the relationship played out really wonderfully. I also, like I said, thought it integrated into your gameplay and into your experience of it so well. Um, the game does do a great job of integrating the story with the gameplay. In kind of mm-hmm. a way, that's not... So, it's, not, it's not like one of those games where you kill the boss, but then the boss turns around and kills you anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Like so many JRPG, Like Tales of Symphonia does that right. a lot. I, uh, um, it, I'll connect back to that thing about the last cutscene and the quick time moments. I don't know if, if you realize this, but most of the quick time actions you do in that final battle with Baldur... You're actually controlling right. Atreus, yeah. which I found very interesting. That before you, oh, all do you of your really? Quick time stuff I know nothing about how they, I, this is my penance for not uh-huh. finishing the game. I'm just learning everything about uh-huh. it now. Yeah. So most of the times, instead of pressing X or Circle, depending on what your control layout was for which are Kratos actions, you were pressing Square, which were all the Atreus ones. Yeah. So it was becoming much more about him in that that last scene, right. and that that's why I was okay with it being more prevalent there because I could see the transition. Well, and it also then says that in the when you get to Jotunheim mm-hmm. and you find the mural on the wall that yeah. Faye has sent you to see, 
Kratos has that line where he's like, wow, this is our story. And he's like, no, it's your story. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, ha, ha, ha. This is no. like a passing of the mantle. You see the full transition. You see, and you see like overall, like Kratos learns how strong Atreus really can be. Yeah. Atreus learns how strong he can be. And You're he also sees, now. <laughs> he sees what he couldn't see before, which is the effort that his father is putting in. And the fact that he is struggling through a past that is full of unnecessary violence mm-hmm. that he now knows was unnecessary. And right. that he's shameful of. And he's trying he to make Atreus it from him for better. the whole game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he's trying to make Atreus be better than him. And sure. let's, uh, before we jump to the last panel in Jotunheim, because I do want to talk about that. Right. That's but, there's other stuff to talk about. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a ton of story things. I don't think we need to go through the story point by point. But one thing I'll say about the story in general is how well it fostered exploration. I loved having these different realms that had their own feels and styles and what they were about. I loved the, how the enemies were different in them and how they each felt like they had their own like story told through the lore that you would find. How much you learned about all of the giants and just like rowing the boat, listening to Mimir's tales. I would be, I would get to the dock oh, yeah. that I wanted to go to and I would just stop. Until he finished talking. Yeah, until he finished yeah, talking, because I wanted absolutely. to hear stories. I would go uh, do the, the traveling around the branches of the world tree, just because I wanted to hear more of the awesome story they built. And myself as a mythology buff, I loved hearing their version of all these tales. Yes. And it, it was is, their it is version. the great thing that they built in. Um, having Atreus as the companion, with his like innocent sense of wonder that comes from still being young and and finding the world lets you like you're playing as kratos who is this like grizzled like world we will go there if we need resources he doesn't care and if you're just playing as him you probably care far less and find out far less about the fullness of the realm that every side quest is is fueled by atreus wanting to help people and wanting to find things and kratos just like if it gets us the resources we need we'll do it boy but then eventually you see him switch from that to Mm -hmm. This is something your mother would have done. And then he's seeing Faye in Atreus. Uh-huh. And that's like a cool transition when he stops talking about the resources that we need. And it's more like your mother would have been. And it's especially and it's like, interesting oh! how he does it to counter when Atreus becomes a snooty little piece of shit oh for a while. God. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely the turning point when he starts to be more like, this is what your mother would want. Realize what you're actually saying. Like, we are not better than everyone else. We we need to keep ourselves realistic, mm-hmm. and we can't let this power go to our heads as I have previously done. Believe me. And Kratos has that same moment with Balder. Right. It's like, and then Atreus a... clearly has learned the lesson, because uh-huh. he's the one who calls out. He's like, he's beaten. He's you beaten. Don't, you don't need to kill him. You don't need to kill him. He's yeah. beaten. And then you decide, like, all right, yeah, yeah, you're right. And then I also just loved, I you know, if we're going to talk about the Balder fight and the yeah. final scene. Yeah, we, we rolled into that. I loved... That was the moment where I was like, the game is giving death the weight that it yeah. has. Because, ultimately, Freya decides to sacrifice herself to save her son. Mm-hmm. And that means he's going to kill her. And Kratos decides to save her. And Atreus, in comment, because she gets she gets real pissed off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kratos she says she's going to... She's like, I'm going to rain down misery and blah, blah, blah. And I mean... How is she going to do that? We don't know. She's cursed, so she can't actually hurt anything. But, but, but she does have very powerful magic. <laughs> she does have very powerful magic. I'm sure she would figure out a way if she chose to. But in that moment, she's like, you're my enemy now. Like It's a complete flip on what's happened for the rest of the game. And Atreus has that line where he's like, she looked evil there. Right. And Kratos was like, like Kratos and Mimir both like kind of came at him with, no, she just she's a mother who she, lost She just her lost son. her son. You can't expect her to just be like, Thank you. Everything's fine now. 
there was a, an emotional weight that mm-hmm. just was put on her. And it, right after that fight, once you actually regain control of Kratos, the first thing that Atreus says is like, we've done so much, and now it seems like we're the evil ones. Mm-hmm. We, we thought we were doing good this whole time, but now in someone's perspective, we are the absolute evil. Mm-hmm. And Kratos is basically like, you know, that, that, that kind of can't be helped. That's, that's going to be how it goes. Like, she, she couldn't see that this was what needed to be done. But it needed to be done. Right. Ultimately, Kratos saw the world's a better place with Freya in it and Balder not. And there was and an made that decision theme. for her. There was an overall theme of that throughout yeah. the entire thing. Oh, yeah. It was mm-hmm. a microcosm of it in Alfheim when we defeat all the Dark Elves. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's like we see one mural and Atreus is like, wait, were the Dark Elves not the bad, the bad guys? guys? I thought they were the bad guys. And it's sort of that overall realization that maybe Kratos has had in his life and now Atreus is learning as well where it's like, Everyone in any conflict has their own perspective, and in mm-hmm. their eyes, they are the good guys, and they are justified in what they're doing. And especially in the the, the instance of is that when you get to later, uh, I think you're in you're in Jotunheim, where it talks about is that all gods do is kill their fathers. Mm. Um, I think that's some serious foreshadowing where, where the seasons where the series is going to go eventually. But it's like being a god isn't all great. There's a lot that comes with it too, and with that power comes the power to do some really bad things mm-hmm. and that's what so much of this game is about is growing to be better gods to be grown good but it's like why is this how it's always been with these such powerful people that could do so much good choose to defend only their self-interest yeah the uh the part that i thought was really weird was when kratos crafts kind of like a, a, a skateboard out of a log mm-hmm. it was right, like right. okay boy watch this kickflip and then he fucking whiffs it yeah, and he's on the ground it. for the rest of the game, mm-hmm. and Atreus just goes on without him. Yeah, that I thought that was strange. really weird because that was the six-hour mark. Right, right, uh-huh. and yeah. everything you guys mm-hmm. are talking about is really different than the game I played. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were playing against Tony Hawk. Where it was Tony just kind of like this Zach Tony Hawk bootleg copy, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, 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 Goldfinger was there, and they were just playing yeah. Superman the entire way through. Right. And so it was like strange. instead of this orchestral, how scroll, much Mickey Mouse was in your I want to touch two two more points of story. Before I, I have I have said my piece, um, <laughs> and that is, to me, it was so impactful when Atreus got sick and Kratos had to go home and get his blades. When when it, when Kratos is like, I have to go to Helheim. I don't have an axe. I have something I can get. I'll be right back. And he has to go <laughs> home, get into the basement where he's forbid Atreus from going. Like he didn't realize before why when Balder attacked him at home. Atreus made such a thing like you told me never to go into the basement. It's why, such why a am I there? throwaway line. It's such a throwaway, but then you realize it's because Kratos has hidden his past in there. That past that he's been running from and trying to hide yep. in this little nook of the, the Nordic uh, forest. And then now he needs it again. And then how it's like, all right, I think I'm ready to do this now. Hopefully this isn't going to cause me to go back to what I was. Like you could feel that in him as he picked those blades up and unwrapped them and put the chains back on and saw Athena. And just how this man has been fighting his past and now he realizes that he can't hide from it anymore and he needs to realize that he's learned from this and incorporate it into who he is now. That was right. such an impactful moment for me, for him it was really cool. going back home to pick up those blades. Also, just like talking about that whole moment, I this is the one moment where I took it, not that it wasn't great throughout, but this is that was the moment where I wrote down a note that the voice acting was so good. When, when Kratos has a trace in his arms dying of his sickness and he's pounding on Freya's door the desperation in his scream for her I was like whoa <laughs> like literally right. did not know oh, how to handle you that you get that moment. outward expression of how much he actually loves and cares for his <sighs> son yeah and and especially because the the actor he was 
Uh, Christopher's guest. Stargate or something? He was. Or Battlestar Galactica? He's a, he's a well-known sci-fi actor. I don't he was in know Stargate SG-1, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I believe. Um, but, like, just, like, it's, like, this rich baritone, but it's very understated for the whole game. Kratos speaks in one word or this or that, and he says a lot with those one words because yeah. the voice actor is doing a phenomenal job of it. But to hear that the voice actor got to that level of release in a moment of desperation, that is not easy to do. Yeah, and you could hear it. You could it absolutely was, hear oh that pain God, and that it was desperation. So good. Yeah, it was so good. Uh, honestly, all of the acting in this game is actually pretty phenomenal. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. the the motion control, like all of all the motion capturing, the voice acting, like it's all so good. The minuscule changes in the facial expressions, mm-hmm. really well done. I think this game is starting to see a turning point in the game industry where we're going to start seeing fewer. Well, we're still going to see actors that are like dedicated to voice acting. You're still going to have your Nolan Norths and your your Jennifer Hales and all that. But I feel like voice acting in video games is going to become a greater Hollywood appeal in the mm-hmm. future, and not like the way we've seen it before, Probably. like Kevin Spacey being in uh, a Call of Duty game as like a stunt casting. I think there's going to be a genuine appeal uh, for to actors. Scenes. For actors. Actors. Yeah. Like for, the, yeah. for their art. I, I, think, I think that's yeah. something that's going to become more prominent in the years to come. And I think we're already starting to see this. Uh, the, the whole Peter Dinklage thing and Destiny notwithstanding, yeah. I think that's going to be one of the major shifts in the industry that this game is going to give way to. So the the next point I want to get at is the the very end after you scatter the ashes. Oh, we got more. Oh. Yeah, I know, I know. There, there's there's actually still two more things I want to touch on. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, I have several. Yes, yeah. I have to get into the mythology. We were going to keep this at a tight hour, and that's not happening. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, you scatter the ashes, and you realize that Atreus's actual frost giant name is Loki. Mm-hmm. That blew my mind. Placing that in time. Oh my gosh, I did not see that coming one bit. Okay. And I had I had such a pleasant surprise with that. Okay. I, I love that little bit. And it makes now, so much sense. Now, was this a twist okay. for a twist's sake, or did they foreshadow it really well? They didn't foreshadow it at all. They didn't no, foreshadow it at all? No, I think they did. I think they did slightly in that he hears voices, and I think that is related to the Frost Giant's visions. So there is a slight connection. I think his god-based okay, powers tie in the Frost that. Giant mythology that they set up in terms of how they have this sight or this connection Sure. To other realms or other uh, life. I guess I, I didn't like that twist. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, mm, I didn't need that. Uh, I guess it kind of sets it up for playing further with the mythology of the gods, and it yeah. gives it gives more intrigue to to Fey, I suppose. Um, well, for me, I, I, my... I liked it because this whole the whole series in general with the previous installment and the current installment is it takes the commonly known mythology and puts you on the other side of it through most of it like you know the greek pantheon and it makes them your enemy you now you know the nordic pantheon in terms of people who are versed in nordic mythology you know the stories from the side of of thor beat all the frost giants as a good thing and this presents it as a bad thing and it, it with getting that other perspective of it it makes sense that atreus is loki it makes sense that this whole time you're raising this person to be good and it's someone who's viewed as a villain in more common Nordic mythology. Sure, yeah. And it, it plays into how Odin twists all these words and twists all these stories in the common... Yes, but I mean, I think also you're you're coming from like a very maybe painted over version of Norse mythology. Like, Odin was not a well-loved god. Sure. He was a well-known asshole as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, nobody was like, Odin's the best! Um, the interesting flip... 
and I'll talk more about this when I get into an actual mythology yeah, yeah. section. But mm-hmm. the interesting clip for me was choosing Baldur as the villain because Baldur was the god of joy and beauty mm-hmm. and love, and everybody he was the most beloved of the Norse gods. And then the minute they were like, "The stranger is Baldur," I was like, "Uh, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is confusing to me." Um, so. I, I see what you're saying, and I'm interested in how they're going to play with it, because it's obviously setting up for sequels obviously. under Atreus's story, yeah. um, which is what the whole game kind of set up at the end there. But, I don't know. I, it, for me, it was the kind of thing where I was like, eh, that doesn't, ha- I don't know. I just, it, it didn't have the impact for me. Oh, it was very impactful for me. I, I, I um, it. It, it made and sense maybe I kind of liked that it wasn't really impactful. Also, the, the one thing I will say about it is if you're going to do that twist, I'd rather them do it that way than like, big dramatic music and it's a reveal and you know what I mean because it leaves it from Kratos's perspective where like he doesn't have a concept of who mm-hmm. Loki is or right. what his importance is to mythology so they're both of them are just kind of like oh it says your giant name was Loki was that me I don't know whatever bye mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. just kind of a, like very much it stayed true to like Cause we're not no gonna have a happens. giant symbol crash and like pan out the camera slowly and mm-hmm. it's like a Darth Vader no moment where you're like feeling the impact of it it was just kind of like you having any knowledge of something gives this moment an impact. For them, it really doesn't have one. Can you please give me a full Darth Vader no moment? No. Thank you. <laughs> he uh, took off his mask at the end. <laughs> um, I before I moved into like a whole full discussion of mythology, because yeah. like I am a giant mythology buff since I was. Four years old. Um, <laughs> I did a tally um, because I was interested in Kratos' growth when I saw, like, he would have moments where it's like, he's not being the best father in this moment. And then other moments I'd be like, oh, he's grown a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that took me back because I didn't know what to expect. I just knew the ultra-violent God of War games of the past where he was, like, this, like, heartless being murdering everything. Um, so I kept what I call the good dad, bad dad tally. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't write down what every single one of them was, but, like, for things such as he's keeping secrets from his son that are going to negatively impact him in the future. Like, bad dad. Bad clearly. dad. Hashtag bad dad. Um, you know, when... <laughs> this was a moment where it was, like, when they had the, the wine, the Grecian wine, yeah. uh-huh. that they pulled on and shared. It was like, okay, cute moment. But then when, like, when he opened it and said, wow, this smells like vinegar... Don't drink that wine. Don't let your son drink that wine. He's like yeah, a child drinking spoiled wine. They're gods. Do it. They're fine. <laughs> I, I wrote that down as a bad dad moment. Um, but then, like, great dad moment. He had, like, this amazing speech about responsibility with our powers as gods and, like, delivered it perfectly. And I was just like, good dad. Um, having caution with Freya suddenly when we find out that Balder is her son. Which was not a plot twist for me because I know Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, I knew that was coming. Um, but, you know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, like, then she's approaching Atreus and he, like, pushes her back. I was like, ooh, good dad. Um, so, uh, through just the storyline, uh, the total number of bad dad moments was eight. <laughs> and the total number of good dad moments was ten. Oh, hey. So, so on the whole, the good dad wins. Right. On dad. the whole, the good dad wins. I, and I will say, good dad, the dad. number of good dad moments... 
far exceeded bad dad moments in the latter half of the movie. Yeah. yeah. So, I, he grew. I want to argue a point you brought up a little bit earlier. Just to go back to the original God of War real quick. I don't... See, I, I find Kratos to be a much more tragic figure, at least in the first in game. In the first one, yeah. I will In the first game, he is an absolute you. tragic yes. figure. I, I, yes, as he evolves into the second and third games, really all that's left for him is a roaring rampage of avenge. Correct. Uh, uh, forget whatever happens along the way but the first game he is definitely a hugely tragic figure no I I agree Um, it was just things like and I think it's fascinating how he processes his grief in the first game compared to how he processes his grief now agree because I think death is still like a huge part of Kratos' life Mm -hmm. so it's great to see him have a second shot at the family and how he handles the death of his family the second time around I think that's a really really strong point that this game makes 100% agree on that yeah um, I yeah. do need to add the um, little note that I also have a separate good dad, bad dad tally for my actual gameplay style. Um, <laughs> I thought you were about to say my actual dad. For my actual dad. He's <laughs> at four good dad you're and listening, 191 bad dad moments. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, no, for my actual gameplay style. Um, mostly stemming from the fact that the minute the, they gave you the gameplay option of using Atreus as a distraction for all of the monsters. Boy, did I use my son as a tool. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, in that official tally, it is um, Good Dad has a score of 10 and Bad Dad has a score of over 60. Oh, I, feel like, I feel like that's every dad though. Every so, dad uses their son as a tool yeah, at some absolutely. point. Like, hold this door open, boy. If there's a giant troll with a stone club that is larger than your entire son's body 10 times on top of itself... Yeah. Definitely have your son shoot arrows at him so he starts attacking did, your son. Mm-hmm. Did your dads call you boy when you did something bad? No. All the time. Okay, cool. No, it wasn't just me. <laughs> uh, but uh, in terms of the, the whole boy thing, it's very noted when he stops calling Atreus boy all the time. I yeah. He, he stops being like, boy, read this. Boy, pick that up. I lost my favorite joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was impactful. He was showing more respect no, as his son. I get it, but boy. it was so cliche. I was just like, yeah, okay, he called him son now. You're a man. I'm old. Over it. I don't, I don't know. For me, I was just like, I didn't need that. But, like, I see yeah. how it serves the story and, like, good. But, like, uh. Yeah. That, that's probably just me as a personal aesthetic mm-hmm. course, sort of thing. Sure, like, sure. I didn't want you to do Before that. We, we, we go down the, the mythology rabbit hole uh, uh, more with your stuff, I wanted to ask you, what did you think that you actually saw in the last panel? The panel that's covered by the banner when you get to Jotunheim and uncover everything on the wall. What is your interpretation of that last panel? It was a little unclear as to whether it was, like, Atreus is killing him. It, mm-hmm. So... Essentially, he's like kneeling. He has Kratos laying with his head on his lap, and then there was a bit of a squiggly like a pattern, thing? like a snake thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I'm not sure if that was just I have, me. I have a far-fetched theory about it. Um, my initial, when I first looked at it, I was like, he's draining Kratos's life essence. <laughs> That's what my brain went straight to. Then I kind of had assumed, just because of their relationship and how it's developed, that maybe it was like a. Uh, Kratos's power is transferring to him in the death or something like mm-hmm. that. Here's my far-fetched theory for you, and this is going to stab into the mythology a bit. Yeah, great. I, I love this transition. Um, one of Loki's children in North mythology is Jormungandr, the yeah. world serpent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering if, because it was so snake-like, if that actually is the world serpent. Somehow, Interesting. in the birthing of the world serpent, or however right. that plays into this alternate version of the mythology if Kratos is killed in that process. Well, you know what, too? 
in the mythology that you get that that at Ragnarok, uh, Jorgenmander fights um, Thor, Thor, and Thor hits him so hard he knocks him back in time. Mm-hmm. So it'd actually be an interesting thing if that does happen, Correct. and his energy transfers into him, and that that is you know yeah when when he yeah. So and, we're on the I same mean, page there. Yeah. I think that that would be a very interesting take. Thor on. and Jormungandr are supposed to kill each other right. in Ragnarok. Right. So, but like he does get knocked back in time, and it's a very it's a whole. I mean, <laughs> the world serpent thing is a whole like. How is he Loki's child? How does he get knocked back in time? What is any of that? So it's really kind of a wide open part mm-hmm. of the Norse mythology that they could kind of interpret how they want to. So just like the the seeing a snake-like figure and then having him be Loki, it's a far-fetched theory and it could be absolutely baseless. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of going with that as like, uh, maybe I saw that before everybody else. So, you know, if uh, in five years so, when we have our next God of War trilogy completed, if I was right, everyone in the world owes me a new car. Wow, oh, that's wow. a lot of new cars. That's Andrew. a huge. That might be all the cars. Point. That's probably all the cars. Yeah. <laughs> um, but more, more specifically, in Can that, we get the data on that. Are yeah. there more cars than people in the world? Mm, oh gosh, <laughs> I hope not. But probably that was, that's, that's a really imagine so, like, so many so, unused cars yeah. in a lot somewhere. Mm-hmm. But then, like lots of countries that just straight up don't have cars. So, eh. Now, Who knows? Anyway, consumerist yeah. culture. Tangent. Now, do, do you think though in that? I'm panel... amazed that we've gone over an hour without going into a tangent. Yeah, like, we did pretty good. And that's probably because I don't game. have much to say about the story yeah. side of this game because I feel like if we actually start talking about things, I will be the bad boy. That's true. Yeah. You, you probably will be the bad boy. But that's okay. Bad dad. Uh, well, do we want to? We've gone so long. Well, I know, do you want to talk a bit about your mythology really discoveries, Andrew? Okay. This is this is kind of. Did you have anything else to add? Yeah, yeah. Just with that last bit. Do you think that it was Atreus? Killing Kratos or Atreus mourning him? I guess it's kind of hard to say in terms of that transfer of power, but like that, yeah. that's one thing that I am my, not sure of. My initial instinct was that, like, first glance, gut instinct was like, oh, Atreus, Atreus kills Kratos. Yeah. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, that doesn't seem 100% like Right. And it's interesting because he's kneeling like, next to him. Usually yeah. you don't kneel next to someone when you kill him unless it's a mercy killing. Right. Which is what I'm thinking might end up being. So, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had I had mm-hmm. both reactions. But I thought that was so interesting how they gave you that panel for so short and you it can't is. go back and look at it again. It's you get to see for like three seconds. I loved that. All right. So, so, you were saying earlier how you have a lot of experience. You, uh, I think before we started recording, you were talking about how much you knew about Greek mythology and you mm-hmm. were researching a lot about Norse mythology when yes. you when we knew that we were going to do this for our first episode. Correct. So, uh, what I mean, I have you... this, is, this is I was refreshing my. You're fr- okay, okay, okay. Uh, um, what, what did you discover that so, you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I, I'm a massive mythology buff. I find myths super fascinating. I find like. I would love it if the predominant religions of the world right now had pantheons of gods with oh, personalities. Yeah. Like so it's fun. just so cool to me. Okay, I, I feel like it's like my Real Housewives, of like Mount Olympus. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's that's what I'm into. Um, so I, like I said, my predominant focus was Greek mythology and actually Egyptian mythology were the two that I started very heavily on. Norse mythology I read into a little bit later, and I didn't spend as much time on because I was a little older and I lost some interest. But I've like sort of picked back up what I knew. And so the interesting part was like, obviously there were certain plot points that were a bit spoiled for me because of this. Like Freya, I I figured out semi-early on, Freya is actually for in some, in some interpretations of North, Norse mythology, a separate goddess from Frigg. Okay. And in some they are the same. Um, early on I kind of got signs that they were going with the same theory. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so Freya is going to be Baldur's mother, Odin's wife, da 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 da. We're playing with that. Um, so we're Freya gonna... was actually the woman in the woods, right? Yes, correct. Got yes, it. That ends up cool. being the, also, the witch like, of the woods. Also, like, side note, I saw her 
And I was obsessed with her. The minute she entered the screen, I was like, oh my God, she's so great. She's very pretty. I like her as a character. She's my favorite. <laughs> like, that was my actual yeah, reaction. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also a lot of depth in her character, too. Mm-hmm. But... Um, in terms of that that paralleling opposite mm-hmm. parent-child story. I actually... Um, this was what ultimately... So like I said, the, the selection of Balder as the primary antagonist for this game was very confusing to me. Mm-hmm. Because even, even in the stuff with Loki, there's not much in the actual mythology to suggest that Balder hated Loki. Loki didn't like Balder. Balder didn't seem to react to Loki. I don't think he was generally considered to be a loving god. He was generally that sort of thing. Um, And Loki would just, like, play tricks and ultimately was what caused Baldur's death um, in the mythology. What I didn't love, I just wish they would have fleshed out. So, this is obviously a massive spoiler, but the reason that Baldur... Baldur has invulnerability, which is granted to him by Frigg or Freya... Um, in this case. Uh, and it's a spell that is literally cast on him that makes him like impervious to damage. So whenever you fight him early on in the game, he just recovers any health that you yeah. take away from him. Um, and then later, in the final boss fight, the same thing is happening. You're doing some damage to him, and then he recovers his health. And you're like, oh, well, how do we hurt him? And then he grabs Atreus and is stabbed by the point of the arrow that was used to fix his The mistletoe quiver, arrow. The mistletoe arrow. Um, and that breaks the spell what i didn't love is like for me that is one of my absolute favorite myths in norse mythology i think it's one of the coolest stories and they didn't go into any explanation of why mistletoe was the thing that okay why is mistletoe the thing so, andrew give me a quick recap buddy um do you think that was in some of the optional content you no, might have missed no, out on no okay, no okay. no no it it's wasn't. not in it okay yeah you found it all the collectibles not. so you would know and i did all of the the story-based yeah optional i just content. want to point out we started recording while it was still daylight out and we turned on no lights yeah, and we dark. are now recording this podcast in near complete darkness it's my camp story time i just see the glow <laughs> on your faces from your computers and at it's the so end nice. of the podcast i murder you what yeah uh, i'm ready <laughs> Okay, so... Uh, Just try to do it with paper cuts, I dare you. <laughs> I, I, I'll find a way. Um, so the actual story is um, Frigg, or Freya in this case, if we're considering them the same person, Odin's wife, uh, they find out, both Odin and Frigg actually find out that Balder is slated to die. Not in Ragnarok, but before Ragnarok. They, they have, whether, I don't remember if it's like sight or that sort of thing. Odin was like super all about pursuing wisdom and sight. And and that's why he was kind of at odds with the giants. Sure. He was interested in that stuff and he would take it um, in not the kindest ways. Totally paralleled in this game. (laughs) Correct. Totally the storyline you Absolutely paralleled in this game. Um, So in order to try to prevent this, Frigg literally went around to every living creature in all of the realms and asked for an oath that they would not harm Baldur thus granting him invulnerability. Mm-hmm. However, the plant mistletoe was so tiny and she felt so insignificant that it was the one thing she chose to not ask for an oath from. Hmm. And then in the story, uh, Balder has a blind brother, Hod, who they're playing a game of darts. Loki tricks him by handing him a dart that is made of mistletoe, which he then throws at Balder and it kills Balder. Um, and then there's a whole thing where like Balder gets sent to hell and the Frigg once again tries to get him out. And so she's like, goes around to everything in the world and is like, will you agree to let Balder out of hell? And everything loves him. So everything says yes. But then Loki disguises himself as like an old witch and says, no, 
and fucks shit up again. <laughs> so, so that's that's kind of the turning point in Norse mythology that's, that's, where that's Loki is less of a trickster game. and is more directly like <laughs> an antagonist to all the gods. Okay. Um, but I just thought that was like such a cool. It's not hard to incorporate that sort of thing. You know, it's not like a massive story that has to be told. But I just wish they would have alluded to it in any way because otherwise it's just sort of like why was mistletoe his weakness? It's really right. not addressed. But, but this, I mean, Freya definitely knew that was his weakness because she was all uppity when when you have those arrows. Absolutely. But I just would have loved if they would have tied the myth into it and explained to us. Sure. Yeah. No, I get I, that. I know sure. not everybody knows Norse mythology the way I do. Mm-hmm. So some players of the game are just going to be like, oh, that's weird that that was his weakness. Well, you know what? I, I I think that there there might be a world in which that's part of the the, the next game. Uh, maybe potentially. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's still something maybe. you should explain. Yeah, yeah no, no, I I it's, do agree that yeah, that, that should have been. Explained. It just sort of left an open ended plot point at the end of the game mm-hmm. for me. I hear that. Um, but uh, straying away from that, I didn't necessarily like how they handled that myth. I love how they handled a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Mimir, such a cool oh, twist. Mimir. First of all, the character of Mimir. Can we just talk about like? Fantastic sidekick! Oh gosh, <laughs> fantastic sidekick. The hip kick, uh, hip oh, hip dangle. It was so good. I, I had a point in the game when I could not stop watching Mimir on Kratos's waist and being like, "That must be so nauseating." I'm glad he doesn't have a stomach, or he uh-huh. would be throwing up constantly. Uh-huh. His head's just bobbing oh, around everywhere. <laughs> I was so worried about when I realized that Kratos was taking him off on mm-hmm. the boat and just sitting him on the yeah. seat in the boat. I was like, "He gonna fall off the boat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Save him!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but the actual like story of Mimir is that during the war between the Aesir and the Vanir, which the Aesir are like the Odin, Thor. Odin, Thor. They're the gods of war and violence and that sort of thing. The Vanir are more earthly gods based in like fertility and civilization and that sort of thing. Um, interestingly enough, Freya is one of the Vanir, but I think in our version we're going with her as Frigg. So that's a whole other thing. No, no, they didn't Freya's, really talk Freya's a whole Vanir lot. in the game. Freya is the Vanir goddess in the game. I mean, I think maybe the idea is that when she is banished as the witch of the woods, you know what I mean? When mm-hmm. Odin places the curse on her, like, all that stuff doesn't happen in Norse mythology. Oh, right, right, right. And so I think I maybe that is the, like, now we've split her from the other, right. guy, you know what right. I mean? But Frigg the, was the interpretation. Frigg was not Vanir, you know right. what I mean? Right, Um But, so there's a war between the Aesir and the Vanir, and during that war, Mimir is beheaded. But Mimir was a source of wisdom, of great wisdom, and Odin was all about finding wisdom. Um, so he took Mimir's head, revived it, and then put it at the bottom of the Well of Wisdom, and he could go there whenever he needed to learn things from Mimir. I thought it was super, super clever that it was like, Odin has captured Mimir because he's seeking wisdom, and we're still going to play with the idea that it's a beheaded Mimir is a constant source of wisdom. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, what a good twist. I did love that, yeah. I uh-huh. loved that. Um, the other thing I loved that they did really, really well was the Odin's ravens. He actually, like, that was his primary... Oh, yeah. He had two specific ravens. Not 150 like there are in this game, but (laughs) two specific ravens that would travel the world and report back on all the happenings to him every day. And I thought it was fantastic that they incorporated little stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, lots of things I absolutely loved how they handled or the slight twists that they did. Um, I am... I don't know. I'm interested, I guess, to see how the Loki twist plays out because Loki's yeah. got a it's a whole complicated thing. For those that don't know, um, the Marvel universe has led you astray. Loki is not Thor's brother in any way, shape, or form. No, he no, is that's not. just in Marvel not Wars. even an adopted yeah. brother. Um, he is actually Odin's blood brother, is what they're referred to. It's unclear whether there is like an actual exchanging of blood that happens in there, or if it's more they've just like done enough together and had enough 
common interests that they've it, it was actually, together. Well, from the Marvel side of things, uh, when when Stanley and Steve Dicko like created their version of the Norse mythology, they just needed like a really well known god to be Thor's mm-hmm. ultimate right. uh, uh, arch enemy, and, and Loki just like fit the bill really well. And then and as the character built more and more, mm-hmm. they added in things like the the adopted brother side of things. So that mm-hmm. wasn't the original intention, but Absolutely. that's just how that corner of the Marvel universe was built. Sure. But he still is a giant. I just I just wanted to put it out there because I do think that like the Marvel universe, especially with so many of the films recently, is predominant in people's minds. And so yeah. for those that may not know Norse mythology, that's wrong. He's not his brother. <laughs> no. Um and so yeah. So like he's actually technically Odin's brother. He is the mother <laughs> of uh Odin's horse oh, yeah. Sleipnir <laughs> mm-hmm. he uh took the form of a mare and mated with this like really powerful magical stallion and then carried the baby and the horse was born with eight legs and that's Odin's horse oh, um so fun fact <laughs> I do Loki's, love how ancient Loki's mythology a weird shapeshifter character. <laughs> you get all sorts of human people hybrids in, oh, it, yeah. in the Greek and Nordic mythologies I mean I'm in the same boat in, in terms of you as I've loved mythology and all that stuff for my whole life and my into it was age of mythology playing that on the mm-hmm. computer and picking up the bits of Greek Nordic and Egyptian from there kind of in equal parts I don't it seems like I don't know nearly as deep as you do but I do just love that and so like that setting for this game for me was I think a big part of what drew me into the discovery so absolutely. much because I love learning those stories absolutely I yeah I was super like all about the use of like Muspelheim and Niflheim and, oh, and yeah. Alfheim. It was interesting that they chose because Alfheim in most myths is just the realm of the Light Elves. So it's almost like we're in an earlier portion of Al- Alfheim's history where like the Dark Elves are, are maybe trying to take it over or maybe it's a later portion. Did you not get to that point in the story? They, they, they talk about it actually. Mimir and Atreus have a conversation at one point. Which which one? Uh, in terms of why the dark elves are in um, Alfheim. Oh no, I guess. I yeah, that. one time when you're boating around, you can hear. Um, I forget where where I was going. I think I was going to the last dwarven kingdom, um, if if memory serves me right. But um, they're talking about why the dark elves were invading Alfheim, and Mimir says the dark elves and light elves actually both are from Alfheim. The dark elves are not from Svartalheim. That was just a misnomer. And the uh, Svartalheim is actually where the dwarves come from. In at least this mythos. I'm not sure if that connects to the greater Nordic mythology, yeah. but in this mythos, it's actually a common misconception that Alfheim is just the Light Elves and the Dark, El- hmm. Dark Elves are invading. They're actually both native to there and they just switch power back and forth a lot. Interesting. And Svartalheim, even though it's named for the Dark Elves, is actually the home realm of the dwarves. Okay. Hmm. Um, I mean, I just remember... I don't know. I, I didn't read that much about the elves in. Yeah. I was always that was a conversation that happens on the boat yeah. at some point. That's, I forget. That's where. interesting. No, because like as far as I was aware, Svartalheim was always the dark elves' home, and mm-hmm. Alfheim was the light elves' home. Yeah. But, so they did address it in the game, whether sure. or not that's accurate okay. with the, the past, but that, that's their version of it. I did not vote enough. And I'm apparently. so <laughs> hoping that in later games we get to go to Svartalheim. We get to go to. I mean, we're going to go to Asgard. And Absolutely. We'll go to um, sure. uh, Vanaheim. I mean, Baldur tried to open up Asgard in the yeah. Asian, honest. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very close. Um, uh, we've definitely been going for yeah. like an hour and a yeah, half now. Do we want to start wrapping it up a little bit? We do. Uh, I Ooh, is there any other mythology stuff you wanted to touch on, Andrew? Those were the main things. I just wanted to say like how well I think they incorporated it. Because I think to a degree, the earlier God of Wars did not do as much with that. They mm-hmm. just sort of painted all the gods as like... I mean, sure, the the Greek gods had like mischievous parts of their personalities and could be total mm-hmm. assholes sometimes. But 
you know, it was weird to place... I also think that God of War may even fit better in the Norse mythology realm because there are so many gods who are warlike and violent and mm-hmm. that kind yeah. of thing in this. They're whereas, like, when, it's, when they were like, oh, in God of War 3, you fight Hermes. I was like, really? Why? That makes yeah. no sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the jazz you know singer I mean? from the Disney movie? In these, no. Exactly. In this game, the only god you fight is Baldur. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, only one. I mean, so far. Yeah. Did, yeah. You, did you happen to return to their house? Uh, yeah. After you beat the game? No, actually. So if you Ooh, return okay. to their house, you can sleep you in want... the bed. Oh, okay. Do you is... want to leave that a surprise for Kev? Then there's a there's okay. a special little scene. It's it's really short. Um, someone shows up at your door at the end. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> I I spent the entire time walking down from the mountain in Jotunheim, getting back to the realm travel room. I was so worried I was going to open that door to the realm travel room, and there was going to be Odin, uh-huh. and he's going to have Mimir and the dwarves, and, and that was going to be it. But it turns out it's like, real go, final boss. Yeah, that, Odin! That, that's what I thought was going to happen. I was like, oh, I don't feel good about this. And I was like, oh, go explore the world. Like, you know what? I'm glad they didn't have that moment there, because it's going to be in the later games. Yes. And yeah. I'm so happy that they're going to get it. It allows for the sequels yeah. to involve far more gods. Yeah. I also just want to like add before we wrap up. Yeah, that the final boss battle for me was mildly disappointing. I don't know if it was because I was super overpowered because I, I was done very a lot overpowered of too. a lot of like side stuff. So like number one, I had mastered my battle style using Atreus and Kratos in tandem, mm-hmm, me and too. I also had like strong equipment. So that may have helped in terms of like how easy it was for me. Uh, I also didn't really like the Magni Modi boss battle all that much. Like I thought the like switching to the circling around I was like this is an unnecessary part. Yeah, of I, I agree. With fight that. them. I loved. The battle with the dragon on top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite boss. Oh, yeah, that's heavy that's metal sad. thing of it for her. It was yeah. like three or four different phases of like, it's not like the annoying thing where like the boss sheds its skin and becomes a new form of the boss, like in every JRPG's yeah, final sure, battle. Sure. But this is my final still, form. It was still like you've done a certain amount of damage. He moves over here or he starts this new tactic and you have to like adapt. Loved it. And it was great. That was my absolute favorite boss battle of the entire game. I love that. Kev, anything else to add? Um, yeah, I, I clearly hated the game. <laughs> um, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so Psych. Andrew, uh, let's wrap up by okay. saying this. God of War 2018. Andrew, good game, great game, or bad game? Great game! Kevin, good game, great game, bad game? One of my favorite games I've ever played. Ever played? Yep. Dang. I'm not going that far, but great game, 100%. Cool. I'm going to say that it's a good game, but it is not for me. Can you know what's big of you? You didn't say it's a it's a bad game. It's not a bad game. It is definitely not a bad game. I also didn't know that bad game was a part of bad game is not in the It's not in the title. I just made that up right now. (laughs) I didn't know that was an option. I think that's how I think that's how we end it. Because we can't do like GGGGBG. GGGGBG. Do you guys want to do some GGGGBG? I actually do like saying that. Are we for it? Are we rebranding now? No, we can't do that. We already have the art and everything. It's an uncertain amount of It sounds of a little bit like it sounds a little bit like early two thousands machine gun sounds in games. Oh man! Um, so let's do a little bit of house cleaning. So yeah. we're going to be a bi-weekly podcast for now. We might jump into a weekly format in the future, but since we we got lives outside of the game and everything, and what? like this game was you know two thousand years long, uh, we definitely <laughs> won't be. Uh, doing super long games every single week. There might be weeks where we do uh, an episode every week if we're feeling frisky or it'll anything. It'll depend but on for, the games. Too. I'm yeah, it'll depend on the frisky. game. For, for, for the time being, we're going to be a bi-weekly podcast. And because we want you to play along with us so that you can jump into the episode. Obviously, this one was like a very spoiler-filled episode, so we hope that you played 
the game before you joined us. If you didn't play the game, but you were wowed by what we were talking about, go ahead and play it. Yeah, uh, we want to know what you thought about the game, so join us on our Facebook group and all that jazz. We're good game, great game on Facebook. I think I'm going to throw together a Instagram should and a, a Twitter, Twitter page. We yeah, we should, cool. we, should t- we should tweet the night away. Yeah, yeah. It's pitch black. Well, let's wake up at 3 a.m. and just tweet things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but the for for uh, the foreseeable future, let's do like the let's throw out the next three games we're going yeah, to do. That's so, great to me. Uh, in two weeks, we as we were talking earlier, we're doing an indie game called Celeste, which came out last January on uh, the Nintendo Switch, the Xbox One. There was something in my mouth. And the PlayStation 4. And no, on... those are available in the PlayStation or whatever the networks are. To yeah, download. yeah, yeah. It's a complete downloadable title. I believe it's 20 bucks right now, so it's like a decent price. Yeah. Uh, I've already played it, and I genuinely love this game. I'm the one that wanted to bring this one to the table, uh, and I'm really excited. I'll have a lot more to say than I did about God of War, because obviously I really, really love this game. Uh, and I'm excited to talk to you two about it. Uh, that episode will be going up on May 28th. Uh, then we're actually going to do an episode the week after that uh we're not no, going to play a game for that we're recording no the episode will be out on we're recording on May. you're right you're right you're right you're right <laughs> we record on it'll mondays go on we'll on it'll go out on, on the 30th mondays. god willing uh <laughs> uh the week after that we are going to do a, like a mini episode about our thoughts on e3 because mm-hmm. that'll be happening that week uh and we're going to just... involve video games that has what? some video games to I'm do with so it. I'm so shocked. I feel like this E3 is just going to be like, Zach, here's every franchise you love. Here's a new installment in that. Uh, that's how I feel. We'll talk more about that the week E3 comes. We'll talk about that a little more next week. Our like, yeah. E3 predictions we'll and all that jazz. We'll discuss the rumors. Uh, and then the week for, for June, we're going to do Dark Cloud 2. Which is one of Andrew's all-time favorites, uh, and a Yay. game that I've been dying to play. for. All-time favorites is like a strong, but it's, it's a game said. that I've like it's a memorable. Re- okay. It's a really memorable month. For uh, me it's that a impacted genuinely me. wonderful PS2 title that's available on the PlayStation Network. You can get it on your PS4, and then the week after that, we're doing What Remains of Edith Finch, uh, another mm. like wonderful indie title. Uh, again, that I've already played, and I really can't wait to discuss with you guys. Uh, yeah, and I'll have else? my Switch by that point. You'll have a Switch by that I point. Will. We'll yeah, start yeah. doing Switch stuff mm-hmm. soon. Uh, I just can't wait. This was, yeah. this was fun. This, this, was, this was fun. This was a good was this time. Was a good time? enjoyed spending a few more minutes with us than you thought. Because yes. we spent a few more minutes with us than we thought. <laughs> it was a great time. <laughs> and now, but this, was, oh, this was a larger game than I I personally expected. Oh, me too. I, oh, yeah. No, I really wanted to make sure that we digged in. There's definitely a vein to tap into, into with this one. I don't know if episodes will always be this long, but there was a lot to discuss here. I'm glad we did. Uh, yeah, so that's the uh, foreseeable future. We hope you join us along for the ride. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to give us a like. I believe we're throwing this on Apple Podcasts to start, and hopefully we'll get ourselves on Spotify and all those platforms. Apparently Spotify is like a hard platform to get on, so uh-huh. we'll finagle we'll see. that we'll kind figure of stuff. We'll, we'll figure it out. But uh, give us a like. Leave us a review if you'd like to. Uh, don't judge us too harshly because it's the first episode, and the and, first uh, episode of anything is always terrible. So. Zach, um, are we, we're going to put the list up of the next foreseeable games on the Facebook yeah, page, Yeah, right? we're, we're gonna We'll discuss that a lot more. We'll have some social media blasts and everything going yeah. on. Hey, so, so for your following Facebook, along. You could like us on Facebook. You could definitely That's like us thing. on Facebook. Maybe invite some of your friends being like, hey... Yeah, I, I I know my friends that play video games and they love video game podcasts. So maybe throw us over there a little bit because we're only going to get bigger if you share us. That got so 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 <laughs> such quiet. An interesting. If he yeah. didn't use his diction us. for a while there, my my hands are dancing around. They are. They are in, in the I darkness. I can't see it. because yeah. I can't see it because right it's now, pitch black it is in this room. Pitch black. <laughs> All right, All right, let's wrap this up for good, Let's buddy. wrap this up. Uh, I don't know what our theme song is yet. Do, you will hear it. Yeah, thank you. But thank you, whoever is doing our theme song. Uh, we'll get that uh, in the show notes. 
links to everything that we talked about will also be in the show notes as well. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks talking about Celeste. Do we have a good sign off yet? Uh, no. Bye. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, guys. We got to say our names at least one more oh, time. Oh, that's right. For a good Zach- game, great game. I'm Kevin Ryder. I'm Andrew Orsi. And I'm Zach Rich. Boy. <laughs> Keep playing? Keep. Let's, no. Uh, we'll no. figure it out at some point. We'll spitball, some we'll spitball something else. You keep playing. I'll keep. Uh, yeah, you took it. Yeah, you 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 laughed at me and then you used it yourself. <laughs> you you keep keep playing. Keep playing. Keep playing. We know the consequences of what you do, but children, we are here for you. We might not understand just. To get through, but children, we are here for you. You think you're crazy, and yeah, we think that's true, but children. Great game, episode number one. What? <laughs> what? No, you don't get to laugh like that's, that. That's just him. He found he got something. I don't know what. It's just the way you said it. Like it's good game, great game. <laughs> Andrew just just hawked a mental loogie just exactly. there. <laughs> uh, to be clear, everything Zach says this episode, I hear punctuated by a loogie. <laughs> okay. Here's here's the final shot. All right. It's good game, great game. Was that good enough for you? It was all right. Perfect. It's good game, great game. No. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. No more giggles. Here we go. (laughs)